We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, friends. Welcome to Mavs Moneyball Live, coming to you on Friday afternoon. We have a nice two-day break between back-to-backs. The Mavericks finished off a uh, Wednesday-Thursday back-to-back where they defeated the Bucks on Thursday after fall or uh, after having lost to Houston the night before, which, of course, that makes sense. Um, uh, anybody that's paying any attention knows that the Mavericks are uh, really playing well. They're 20-8. and eight since February 1st, which is a crisp 71% winning percentage, which is really, really outstanding. And as people have pointed out to me online, they, they could be more. But, you know, with the NBA, there's going to be games that, you have, that, that you're not supposed to win that you do. The Utah Jazz game is a good example. And then there's going to be games that you should, uh, should win and then uh, don't, like the, Utah, or, uh, like the the Houston Rockets game. So that's sort of where we are. Um, feeling pretty good today you know like I, I tend to kind of scout the the internet to, to look at things that we can maybe talk about and things of that nature um one thing that that's been settled on was uh somebody in, at Mavs Moneyball asked the question of you know what's going on with Lucas free throws and would love to hear some theories on that if you aren't aware Lucas shooting just 4.9 a game going back to you know basically 18 19 games something to that effect uh which you know, uh, looking around today, I, I, you know, Matt Moore of the Action Network um, suggested, you know, maybe Luke is just really tired. He looks tired uh, and he's not attacking as much. But I don't necessarily think that's true because his drives per game are still really where they need to be. Um, and, and that's you know, pretty important for the Mavericks offense because he's the one getting in the lane, driving, kicking, scoring, that sort of thing. And, and so I just think he's not getting calls. He, he picked up his 15th technical last night. Um, I think he's pretty frustrated with how he's being refereed, but how he's being refereed is also a direct 
it's a, it's, you know, it's a serpent eating its own tail where, because he is so chatty uh, all the time with refs, I, I think he's kind of hit this point where he's not getting the respect he should have, but it's a lot of it is of his own making. Uh, that's that's sort of the the nature of things. But what's particularly odd is that he's he's nailing shots from downtown while not shooting the free throws particularly well. That's kind of the main thing that I've been thinking about. There's obviously tons of Porzinga stuff we could talk about. I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say. So uh, why don't you uh, invite yourself up on stage and we will uh, start taking questions first uh, or comments, obviously. First, I'm going to invite up Brian, who had uh, sent us a message like right when he popped in. Brian, what's Brian. happening? Hey, Kirk, how's it going, sir? Pretty good. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, uh, a few things. Uh, first and foremost, just to piggyback on, on the KP talk, I think if we all can get what we saw you know, last night, but obviously what we've seen sporadically the past few weeks or the few months, uh, I think we all can get behind it. I think as of now, it's more so just his attitude, his approach. Um, I get it could be difficult, potentially be cycle fiddle to Luca, especially whenever he's just pounding the rock and jacks up a three late in the shot clock. Uh, but Porzingis obviously doesn't do himself any favors with the pouting and lack of energy a lot of times. So hopefully those two guys can get on the same page. Um, the question I want for you is with this offseason coming, we finally have money. I love Maxi. I love Dodo. Um, I think those guys are playing a lot of minutes, um, especially when you look at their pay grade or their salaries and what they make a year. What's a realistic option this offseason for us? And I have a hard time thinking the Mavs are going to move one of those guys to the bench. So what do you think their approach is this offseason to improve the roster um, and hopefully allow us to take that next step naturally? It's a great question. The Josh Richardson situation sort of hovers over that entirely. Because if he opts in, uh, which I think he probably will, they will have to have a real discussion with him, with his agent, Bill Duffy, who is also Luca's agent, and see if what they think is is working. Because if he opts in, that limits sort of their, their potential cap space. But he's also not super expensive. But he's, he's kind of a bellwether in the sense of if he plays even okay, the Mavs win. If he doesn't score 10 points, I don't think the Mavs have won a game yet. Um, it's it's really bizarre. So he kind of hangs over things there. About Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxie, both of them are are scraping their ceilings. And you know, the, the Maxie thing is so interesting to me that, you know, he plays a good game last night, but right up until the fourth quarter, man hadn't hit a shot. So that's really difficult to play a, a guy in your starting lineup or really two guys in your starting lineup because Maxi has a tendency to, to not score very much either despite getting good looks that are really, I don't call them limited, but their they're roles within the offense are limited. I mean, Maxi occasionally, or uh, Dorian Finney-Smith took one coast-to-coast last night that had me laughing because um, I often, I, I make fun of him and Richardson's handle fairly frequently. So I I... I you know, there's got to be somebody that they attempt to pry away. I have a, I have, I personally have my eye on two New Orleans targets. Lonzo Ball is the one that's kind of in my wish list, even though he he's another guard-ish type player. He's got you know interesting uh, physical traits, but I really like Josh Hart, and I don't know how much it would cost to to pry either one of those away because there's they're both restricted. So there's there's a walk away price for both of them that you know, the the if the Mavs were to sign either then the Pelicans could have three days to match and that that matching period is where things go dicey and the free agent market is already rough. 
So, so that's kind of where my head is at the moment. I don't have a ton of specific players just because I want to see how the rest of the season pans out. If things go south for certain teams, you know, right now there's still a fair number of teams that think they can make the play in, even though it seems weird. And so you don't really know what teams' mindsets are because, you know, if you, if, if a team makes a play in, then theoretically they can convince themselves that they're better than they are or, you know, worse than they are. So there's, there's a lot of ways things could go with about 20 games remaining. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think the Lonzo and Josh Hart, I love both of those guys. But what I love about Lonzo is just the growth that he's made. And what we don't even talk about is the expectations he had coming in, A, with his dad being such a control freak in the face of everything, but then playing in his backyard, you know, in L.A., um, that when he finally got to New Orleans, you've been able to see some strides for him. And I think that's what's going to be key for Dallas is this offseason, if you attract some talent, some talent that you know they haven't reached their ceiling yet. Because to your point, Dodo, I think we're about to max that out. And I, I love Maxi, you know, as much as anyone, but with his age being 29, realistically, what more is is his ceiling? And, and you know, I love Maxi. I love what he can bring defensively. I do think defensively he's not where he was last year. Maybe that's COVID, you know, related. Uh, but my only thing about him is, you know, everyone talks about he shoots, you know, 40, 42, 40%, whatever it is from three, which I love. But if you're only averaging, you know, seven and a half points a game, that means you're really only making two a game, which, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's someone we could potentially just slide to the bench and get someone in to, to replace him um, in the starting lineup at the floor. Uh, but that's really all that I had. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, I'll allow someone to, to take over. Yeah, thanks for coming up, Brian. Um, I, I really like... The, what you painted the picture of is just how many options the Mavericks have. Um, and really, this is when uh, Donnie Nelson needs to earn his money. So so I appreciate you coming up on stage. Um, I want to address a question in the chat that I liked. There's two KP-based questions. First, Victor asks, do you, real, do you still realistically feel KP gets moved this offseason, or were those heat-of-the-moments comments after the Houston game? And then Dr. Sager asks a very similar question. Has the uh, has all this KP drama been uh, the result of KP not buying into the system, or has Lick ri- or has Rick limited him? Uh, his off-ball movements were drastically different against the Bucks, and they resembled what guards and wings do when the flow is working. This is kind of this is like an existential question that hangs over the Mavericks uh, with KP's sort of forthrightness, and he's really media savvy. The sort of things that he says after games, it's really easy to read in or it's just really easy to, you know, to say, oh, this is what he means. It's, it's, you know, I get the overarching sense that he and Luca are stylistically clashing in certain ways, which means Rick and KP are also stylistically clashing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff reading it. It's like, well, I don't know if these guys like each other. This, trust me, this doesn't have anything to do with that. These guys are, are are very, you know, they spend a lot of time together professionally, but whether they like each other or not, I I think they probably do as humans, but playing basketball, they're just, they have different visions of what they ought to be. And, you know, Dr. Sager's point about KP moving off ball, that's a really interesting one that I want to know whether it's, it's Rick constantly wanting to hold stuff back or if it's KP wanting to bomb away. I mean, that guy wants to shoot. His free throw rate is, is abhorrent uh, for the number of shots that he takes. It's it's under, uh, last time I checked, it was .197, which is is like for volume of shooters, there's three other guys in the league that shoot that little. Um, so it's, it's something to just kind of keep your eye on uh, moving forward. But that's also, 
you know, sort of seems to be his role. Um, he was really good last night moving, like you, like you noted. And I, I just, if, if there's going to be this level of conflict, I wouldn't be shocked if they move him because this is the thing that, that I, I get heat from Twitter on this all the time. And a lot of it is, it has to be, you know, I, I check people's bios and stuff and it feels like it's people that aren't over, you know, part, part of they're, they're, they're often European based fans. Luka Doncic is the best player on the team by and the the second like the third best player is closer to KP than KP is to Luka. It's a chasm. I KP's importance to the team cannot be understated. I I don't want to I don't want to like give the impression that I think he's bad. I certainly don't. He's very important to what they do. But where he makes his money is playing solid defense, offensive rebounding, uh dunking and hitting the occasional three. And what he wants to do is something different. I mean, my bit on Twitter at the moment has been making, has been like joyfully reacting whenever he goes right, like he did on that incredible dunk from, you know, we drove on the three point line. The very next play, he took a stupid dribble left and then tried to look at a fadeaway three. And it was like, dude, just go right. You're enormous. He's so good, but he wants to play differently. And if he wants to play differently, I just there, there's that's an that could become an irreconcilable difference. But again, this is the best team he's ever been on. He was never like the New York Knicks were never seven games above five hundred. So there, there's just a lot of stuff to consider with that. I think that's a really, really good set of questions. Okay, I'm going to bring up Matt, who has been waiting for a while. Hi, Matt. What's up? Uh, so I was like two minutes late, so I don't know if you brought this up, but the Luca free throw rate has gotten really, really bad too. Like to the point that he's taken basically over the last 18 games, basically 21 shots a game and only 4.9 free throws a game. I did. And I wanted and to know people's good. theories. I want to know like why you think that. Um, my personal opinion is that he just doesn't get calls. Like that's one of the reasons I was so mad about the Zion game. And I mean, it can be because of the you, because he complains about the, to the refs and everything, but everyone does that. But because I've always heard and the argument that has been made has been that he doesn't get calls because he's bigger than the people that are fouling him. And so they just deal, he should just deal with the contact, which for the most part he does. He's still a really good finisher, but then we watch Zion play and Zion is bigger than everyone. And Zion shoots 18 free throws from running into people. And like, it's legitimately, and it's funny because you can watch and I, I realize every fan base has thinks that there's a conspiracy against their team. But you can watch players come from other teams, and Josh Richardson's an example of this, where they have to learn the Mavs rulebook that you just don't get calls you get on other teams. And that's weird. It is. It's it's one of these things that you know Cuban and Donnie and Rick are constantly complaining about. Uh, Luca has this – I was trying to describe it to my wife because Luca just spoils us with his shots around the rim – where he's hitting these little like four or five foot floaters where he just drops it just so over the rim. And I've tried to explain how difficult that is with people hitting you because his balance should be getting thrown off left and right. And he just drops it in the bucket and then he stares at the ref as he's getting hit. Um, I, I want to say there was a really good quote uh, from Doris Burke on the Zach Lowe podcast today where she said something to the effect of, once Luka Doncic gets in the lane, that's where the defense on him really begins. And it's because it, it, he's basically has you beat at that point. And I don't understand why he's not getting some of these calls. 
uh, you know, uh, Dalton, who I'm going to bring up next, notes that because, you know, it's part of it has to be because he's shooting so much from outside now, but his drives are still within the range that they have been. And he, he doesn't get those body calls on the outside anymore. Um, the Nassus attempted – go ahead. Damian Lillard shoots 11 threes a game and shoots more free throws than Luka. So I mean, that, that whole... sort of stuff's crazy. And he, he gets those outside foul calls. The Nassus was just dry-humping Luka last night, and – the lack of, of calls on the physicality were really so, starting. I mean, it was fun to watch, but it was annoying. The The weirdest thing for me is that it's essentially like the rule book has become you can't hand check anyone except Luca. Because Luca gets hand checked on virtually every play. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Luka, you see him like getting hit in the elbows. Outside, yeah, like when he's outside, when he's driving, there is always a hand on him. And so, like, it got to a point where I'm on a little Facebook group. And, like, I just started screenshotting stuff and being like, hmm, that looks like it because people will post stuff about Jordan and how he would destroy the league now because of no hand-checking. And I'm like, this looks like hand-checking. This looks like hand-checking. This looks like hand-checking. And it's just frustrating. I I don't know what they do other than play their cards close to the vest and then in the playoffs, uh, Carlisle do the, like, a Van Gundy rant from way back has always stuck out in my head about how Yao Ming got refed and it Mm -hmm. really made a difference and I think it was honestly against the Mavs I mean the Mavs won the series anyways but it's like one of those things that that I always kind of call back to and Carlisle is very you know for a man who who does have to talk to the media a lot he doesn't get that specific about what's going on outside of his control I mean there have been some bad calls against the Mavericks the last several weeks and and he just hasn't said anything because it's the, they are not responsible for the game. But I I, just, I have to think that once he gets back to the playoffs, he's going to be averaging seven seven and a half free throws a game, maybe more. I mean, he's way down from from last year, but that's also because they don't have a rim runner, so he's not getting to the rim as often. I mean, he's spinning away. He hit that that one from the Dirk logo again last night. He's just taking more jumpers. Some of that's by necessity, and honestly, I don't think he really wants the wear and tear on his body. Um, that's gotta be part of it because I mean, the man just gets mugged when he goes, but that's, that's, that's my main thoughts on it. Yeah. And so going on to one other thing. So somebody kind of brought this up in the chat yesterday. I have for a while thought that the, the natural move to improve the offense would be to start Tim instead of Dorian. But now given how things are, if JJ Reddick comes back healthy, do you think there's any chance they start him instead of Josh Richardson? Mm. I never really thought about him starting. Uh, because, I suppose because he's my age, there might be some consideration of playing him while he's fresh. But that seems like a bit of a stretch for Rick. But who knows? That's a good question. Well, the reason that I'm curious about it and that I think is because, one, I think that makes that offense virtually unstoppable. Because Dorian's gotten back to where he's a 37-ish percent three-point shooter, which is, I mean, it's fine. Luca's become a weapon from three. And so then if you go all, if you take all of the shots that Josh Richardson gets from three and the ones that he turns down and give them to JJ Reddick, that makes the offense. Now, obviously there's a defense trade-off Josh Richardson for whatever else he's been and how little he's been used defensively. He is obviously an infinitely better defender than JJ. Sure. Sure. If you take like the open looks that Josh Richardson gets and give them to JJ Reddick and plus the looks that he will create for himself by moving, I, I really think that helps us a lot. Now, it will depend the, – the thing with that that it, it will depend on 
is can Luka take more defensive responsibility in short stints in the playoffs? And I think he can. He has but, to, yeah. Yeah, because you can. we can handle J.J. being a liability if Luka is neutral to a plus, which I think he can be if J.J. Yeah. is the only liability. But it's just, to me, that is an it's interesting worth looking, idea that we can try. It's certainly worth thinking about. I mean, the expectations for Redick need to be about the 10 minutes a game mark. If he plays more than that, it becomes, you know, a bonus. With They have their rotation fairly set, and they're probably going to eat into certain people's minutes in different ways. But that's that. I think it's, it's going to be interesting. And they have just enough games against bad teams to experiment. So, so Matt, I appreciate your comments. You got right. anything else? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Okay, great. Right. Appreciate you coming on. Okay, I'm going to do something I don't do that often next. I'm going to bring, uh, well, I guess Dalton unrequested. Maybe he got kicked out of the room. All right, I'm going to let somebody jump the line because uh, he probably has something very specific to say if he if he requested a talk. Friend of the program, Matt Moore of the Action Network. What's going on? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm okay. I'm, I should be working, but, you know. What else is new? Uh, so, hey, I want to share the stat with you. I've got some energy pulled up. On around the basket on non-post-ups, Luca is seventh among guards with a minimum of 100 possessions. There's 44 of those dudes, and he's seventh around the basket. So it's not on drives that he's not getting calls. Um, so where do you think it is? Like, what? where are wondering, we I'm wondering. I am get, well, here's one of the things. I think they're genuinely starting to cut down on – around on the non-shooting foul perimeter bumps. I think that they've started to peel back on that because like, you're not the only fan base that has started to complain about the number of free throws. What about Zion? (laughs) Like is Zion just the outliers outlier in this instance? Um, As good as Luca is, I think we could probably say that just in terms of physically trying to handle a person, Zion's probably a little bit tougher. Sure. Oh, absolutely. yeah, like he's a tank. Um, he's at nine. Luke is at nine point seven on on isolation free throws. That's a bad mark. Like that one is probably a little bit concerning. I would say that that's probably where I would look is like specifically because he's still got good marks across the board and stuff like pick and roll. Um, he's drawing. He doesn't do it much, but on post ups, he draws a foul twenty percent of the time, which is hilarious. Um, yeah. I don't see anything it's in mean. transition that really brings up a, like a big. Like he's he's drawing seventeen percent of of free throws on all positions off of um, transition. So he's getting fouled there, but his overall half-court rate is low. So I do wonder if he's just not picking up, like, the random off-ball foul. Like, Go back to the one. Non-shooting what, fouls. Explain the one that was low that you started off with that you said is concerning. What, it, describe a situation to me. I'm having a hard time picturing it. So, I mean, just ISOs, right? Just, so, so he's not getting – is this the kind of – so our friend Seth Partnow – has been lambasting Luke all year saying he looks like he's a step slow. And mm-hmm. is this like maybe kind of part of the fact that he just doesn't have enough burst to get by people? Like last night he he couldn't he danced past he couldn't dance past Brooke Lopez. It was or right. Lopez. What's wrong with me? Uh, that was pretty rough. He's still he, drawing okay, so he's still drawing 14% on drives, which is pretty good. Like that's mm-hmm. pretty solid. Um it seems like most of the issue is is related to he's stepping back and clearing space so much because what I noticed that like his step back rate is sky high. Yes. Like he is one of like the the league leaders in step back attempts. You're naturally going to have fewer fouls on step backs. That's the point of a step back. Now, right. I think that he's probably still getting a rough whistle. Like I don't think you're wrong that he's probably getting a uh, getting a rougher whistle just because he's not like physically tough to deal with. The guys in the league that, that tend to have trouble 
being officiated are guys that are so physical, you don't know what to do with them. Like mm. LeBron, um, Zion in time will probably get to this point. Like he's drawing them now, but I think in probably time, Zion will probably go the other way because he's so physical. Teams are just like, what? LeBron, I know this sounds crazy. LeBron legitimately is under officiated because he's so sure. much more athletic and powerful than everybody that you can't possibly call everything, all the, all the contact because none of it bothers him. Um, and then the other side is like guys that are super small in the perimeter because they're just like, it's not my fault you're short. Like, that's not Luca, right? <laughs> but he doesn't play like a style that's like super physical. And so I feel like that's maybe part of it. But this is also like, I'm sure over time he'll get it. But I mean, it's not like he's lacking for star power. I will admit to you that it is very strange to me that he is not getting more fouls drawn in general. I mean, the, the, the 15 technicals play a part into this. The fact that he's yeah. one away from getting a suspension because he's just losing his – he's – like, people – I still get this from now and then where it's like, well, he bitches to refs all the time, which he does, but it's no longer the demonstrative flamingo horseshit that he used to do. It's talking <laughs> to them during timeouts. It's you, like he's constantly chattering and asking questions and trying to at least be more respectful, but he's still in their ear all the time. Um, but it's just, it's just very different. But – it, is there any credence to my to my theory about the fact that like coaches like Carlisle and then uh, uh, the Lakers coach did this last year uh, in the playoffs where it's like you know LeBron's just not getting any foul calls and then what do you know the next game he has like nine and a half like the next yeah. four games he averages like thirty percent more free throws like that just feels like a thing that Carlisle would do and often works and they, they only you know they can only do that so many times yeah like that's that's and that's why like Malone. Uh, of the top six MVP candidates, Jokic has the fewest free throw attempts by like three attempts per game, which kind of perplexing given that he's a center, right? Yes. And so after a rough one the other night, like I asked Malone, I said, look, I don't want you to get fined here, but what are your, what's your frustration level? I basically said, if you want to get fined, I'm giving you the opportunity. Like here's your <laughs> chance to get fined if you want to take one. Uh, and he passed up that opportunity, I think probably because the front office had not told him it was going to be okay. And then the very next game, he got tossed for arguing a call on Jokic. So, like, <laughs> they are very selective in how you do this, and you cannot burn it out. Like, you can't you can't take a fine every week about it because you will wind up just getting ignored on it. Right, right. And that's, um, hey, yeah, I do have and... one more for you before I go. Uh, okay, so I looked up drives by guards, minimum 50 attempts on the season. And their free throw rate. And Luca is one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh from the bottom. John Wall draws more. Shea Gillis Alexander draws more. CJ McCollum draws more. There are good guards behind him. Uh, Jamal Murray, Kyrie Irving, but like Jordan Clarkson, DeJounte Murray are the other two. So it's like, given how much that Luca handles the ball, yeah, it's a little bit weird that he's not drawing more calls on drives. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to describe it as peculiar and earned. Uh, it, it's just like all these things factor together and, and I think it'll write itself <clears throat> over the long run, but five free throws a game for almost 20 games is wild. You know, that's, that's just a big sample size compared to what we've seen. You know, it's like you look at something over four games and it's like, ah, oh, you know, you see people talking about Zion's whistle, et cetera. It's just something that sticks in my mind. Well, thank you for yeah. hopping up and providing this data because uh, you have synergy access and I don't. Yeah, I mostly just wanted to shove that in your <laughs> Thank you. All right, coming up next, Robbie, who has been patiently waiting. Robbie, how are you? I'm good. I mean, it's tough to follow Matt Moore, though. So, I mean, that's, well, that's, he's whiny, that's big shoes. To... I know. But Synergy <laughs> throwing it in all our face. Like, uh... mm-hmm. no, my, my, my thing is just, 
I get KP's um, attitude, but it is really hard to see him do those turnaround jumpers and the and the crossovers and the mid range. But if it's going to get him motivated to play defense or to rebound, then it's just something that I got to kind of plug my nose and and be okay with. But man, it's tough to watch that sometimes. And I don't know. It's just sort of a feeling I have, and I thought maybe venting it to the locker room people might be able to sort of share in that misery. But if it gets him to play defense and rebound, okay. But when he's not and he still wants those touches and those shots, oh, it's hard. It is. It is. And I think that there's um, – uh, if you wouldn't mind muting. Sorry, background noise picking up. Um, it's, it's, it's really – we talked about this last night. I think he derives energy from chasing the ball. He probably thinks he derives energy from seeing the ball go through the basket. But his offensive rebounding last night was outstanding. Some of that is just luck with where he is in the court. But he also chased down a few. He battled for things. And I I really want – I'm going to have to bring somebody on at some point to talk to me about why offensive rebounding has gone the other way and why no teams do it. Because you see this with the Mavericks repeatedly where guys just sort of jump off uh, they, the shot goes up and three people peel back and, and, you know, KP gets these, gets these good looks going. I mean, he was over three and then Luca got him at the rim. He hit two free throws. He settled down. He proceeded to hit 10 of his next 17 shots, including some absolute bombs. And, you know, there were some dunks, there's all sorts of things going on with him and how he derives energy is very important. You know, Christian in the chat notes, the teams are afraid in transition. The Mavs also suck in transition. They have been bad at transition defense for seven years. So I don't, you know, if they're not offensive rebounding and they're bad at transition, why not at least offensive rebound? I know it's probably not that simple. It just kind of drives me nuts. But uh, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that question and, and that, that just sort of thought on KP because he's just, he's very important. And, and there's, there's things that the Mavericks, there's got to be a, last night was kind of a good dividing line where KP was moving so much that I feel like he was just much more involved, and I'm sure he felt like he was much more involved. So did the postgame speakers. Um, Christian, how are you? Hey, Kirk. I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Not bad. So, uh, you know, I just um, – there was actually one point I wanted to touch on from uh, Matt Moore, and that was I also think, you know, at least to me, it seems like Luca with the hand checks and just, you know, when he gets towards the rim, he's just getting – completely abused and one thing that I thought of I think it falls under the same thing is if you know Rick speaks out against it and maybe they want to save it for a playoff game but I think Luca could do something similar to like after one of those non-calls and maybe like during a timeout or something imagine if he went up to the ref and like said something like you're gonna wait till I get injured before you make a call or something and I think that could have an effect in game as well. Um, it's it's tough because look at the Mavs schedule the next twenty games. Do they really want to play any cards right now? Um, no, I think save it for the playoffs. For yeah, time. yeah, I think that's what they have to do. Um, I think that the goal will, you know, outside of Luca getting really treated like he he's being played more physically this year. But one thing I have not seen is cheap shots. There were a lot of cheap shots last year. With, with Luca and teams just don't really do that anymore. I think that there's still a lot of guys that think they can get in his head by talking. Um, but there's no longer the, like the physical stuff that makes me, it's like non-basketball plays. So. And I, the original reason I was going to come up, cause 
previously, I, you know, I, I've said time and time again that ultimately this team is going to go as far as both Luca and KP uh, take them, you know, in particular in the playoffs. But at the same time, you know, we talk so much about, you know, wanting to, you know, the possibility of trading him, you know, the rumors went up and there was at least some smoke there about the team kind of shopping him. But what I'm more nervous about at this point, because of the way he's been in the media, and, you know, it could be just we're reading into every little thing at this point. But imagine if he requests a trade in the offseason. We get bounced early in the first round. Him and Luca are having the same issues that they are now. Like his value is just going to plummet. Like I don't think he'd do it. He's too media savvy. Even with what happened in New York, the the trade leak was very, very thought out. And the Knicks are such a tire fire of an organization. It probably, you know, they knew what they were doing. I'd, KP will, the only reason KP won't be on the team is, is if they find some sort of like outstanding deal or if it becomes tenuous with this sort of, I don't know what it is. It just, it feels very, like, like KP's very, very forthright, which is great for media stuff. But I, I can't imagine that they really like the past two games of him airing stuff like this. Um, these guys spend all these time together and it's not like he, he, you know, he's either not saying these things behind closed doors or he is, and he's not being heard. And so he's frustrated, but the Mavs probably, they, they just can't like that sort of thing. Yeah, completely agree. And that's what it, I, I would defend him rather frequently, not like to the hilt, but I mean, I like I understood it. It could be frustrating, but at the same time, it's it's almost every loss he has something negative to say about this, that, and the other. And sure. then, you know, and some are legitimate. Uh, but even I think like most are. Night, it's just I can't believe he's saying it. Exactly. Yeah, and so. You know, I hope because uh, last year the chemistry between him and Luca and just kind of the affection was so much different from this year. And hopefully, again, they're able to kind of rekindle that uh, heading into this playoff stretch. But well, appreciate last you for having me up, Kirk. Well, as always, Christian, appreciate that. Um, you know, the the thing with KP that's so interesting to me is is the off ball movement, and I can't and and we've talked about this a couple of times, but. I don't know whether that's him or the offense. And last night was one of the first games, and I'm sure there have been others this season, but that looked a lot like the Mexico City game in uh, last year where they just throttled the the Pistons, where, where him and KP were all – Luke and KP were, were really, really all over the place. Um, yeah, it, it's – I don't know. This this sort of stuff is really easy to inadvertently say the wrong thing, and, and I don't – like, I don't want to do that <laughs> as much as I like to – to, to, you know, fight on these things. I will say that, you know, just being a bit of a KP defender for a second, uh, I, I talked about this last night, like the Mavericks need to work on passing the ball to KP. This is not just a Luka problem. When Luka went to the bench with the toe thing in the first quarter, KP didn't see the ball for like three or four possessions in a row. So, uh, you know, the, some of the two-man, like the guard things that happen, like they also need to involve KP more. So it, it, it goes beyond this. Um, it's It's very frustrating watching... Um, watching KP, uh, do, you know, n- not get the ball in when he's open or like in placement in the right area. So you guys are NBA passers. You need to be better at this. Uh, Victor notes in the chat: Is it just me, or does it seem like McMahon is trying his best with Jerry Jerry Springer pers- impersonation with all these questions and comments? Honestly, Victor, these kind of questions are the sort of thing that we want. I want more of. I want direct. 
I don't want talk about the game a little bit, which is what these guys do. You know, it, it, media coverage is a whole nother ball game. But one of the plus things of these Zoom calls, I think, is it forces the 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 legacy media, the guys who are really good at this. So Brad Townsend, Tim McMahon, Tim Cato, who are who are good at asking questions to ask ask actual questions as opposed to leading nonsense so they can get a quote for their article. Um, uh, Huda asks in the, in the chat, do you think Luca maybe resents the fact that KP wasn't there for the series against the Clippers, even though it was due to health? Nah, no. I mean, the health thing paints a larger picture of Luca probably potentially being frustrated that he has to do more than he ought to as the team's best player. It is everybody's helped to pitch in. And when KP can't play because he's not healthy, that probably forms a sense of frustration generally, but maybe not aimed at KP and certainly not about the health specifically. I, it's, it's very, it's very tough. Um, okay. So we got a couple more folks, Jesse, what's going on? What's up, Kirk? Um, <clears throat> so I wanted to talk a little bit about Dorian Finney Smith. I think, um, you know, he's sort of by some accounts having like a down year, but Really, I think it's great. He's really rebounded. His three point rate is on, has been on the rise every month. Yeah. And I want to come into his defense. Like, he's not playing that four position where a lot of people don't like him playing the four, but the reason why he gets so many open shots is because he was playing the four when they had a rim runner. Uh, They'd pull in that gravity and kick it out to him for open shots. Like, he was one of the main beneficiaries of them being the first in the league to get open shots at six a game. So, I. I think that that has to do with it as well as the gravity that Seth Curry had. Um, I think adding Reddick, who just said on his pod, he should be back in a couple of games. Um, I think he's really going to help out Dwayne Finney Smith getting a lot more open shots as well. So I, I see them rim running with uh, KP more in the playoffs. And I, I look to see Dwayne Finney Smith doing pretty well in the playoffs. Um, so I think that, He's going to have a better second half of the season. I think they're starting to figure out better ways to get him involved with Maxi being more in the lineup at the four spot. This is tough because I think I mentioned early in the pod that I think that the Mavericks have absolutely maximized him. And as such comes with some undue pressure. I got into a little bit of a Twitter discussion last night. Dorian Finney-Smith takes if he's not the leader he is among the league leaders and wide open threes i.e no one is within six feet of him he shoots under 40 percent on those i when i that's really bad i don't want to say because yeah. i don't think he's bad but that is bad so if you're getting those kind of looks it's essentially so so think to the the utah game where he hit enough to pull rudy out of the lane that is what he's going to have to do in the playoffs, and I don't think he can do that. And it's not because I think he's bad. I just think it it's a lot of pressure for a guy who that shouldn't be his offensive role. He ends up being – like, there's just nobody near him. You go look at clips, and the guy's just – people don't care. And that catches up with you against a team that you have to beat four out of seven times. Um, I would I, I hope you're right. I mean, he's he's going to be a key component, you know. If I'm making some assumptions about Luca, KP, and maybe even like Richardson and Hardaway showing up, the the ability of Doran Finney-Smith, who plays 35 minutes a game, to connect on three of seven open three pointers, 
is like that is going to de- define a lot of what happens because otherwise they're they're playing four on four on five on offense. So, right. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean like, I really he's like so. The guy. De- yeah, he, he's so, just so dependent on on gravity of other players to really get in that rhythm. Like he he did have a lot of open shots last year, but it's not as much as it is this year. And obviously, he had some outliers with COVID and everything. But I think uh, adding Reddick and the increased um, you know screen to pick and roll actions of of Kristaps, I think, is going to help. Uh, and another thing about the KP thing is, I think we're <laughs> I think we're kind of giving him a bad rap. Like, there's not too many power forwards or centers in the league that are averaging, um, you know, 20 and 10 and uh, shooting pretty efficient numbers from, like, you know, from the field. And like, he's like four, around 48 from the field and, and, you know, 37 from three. I mean, I don't think you can duplicate that. We had on here with Josh Eberly, uh, we had a uh, redraft of the NBA. He went really high because of what he brings to the table. Um, so I think it's one of those things where, and that's anecdotal, but like I think it's it's going to be very hard to replace him if we're just so trade happy. Sometimes you just kind of got to uh, love the one you're with with that situation. I, I think that's true. I mean, Jason's, Jason Jang is, is waiting to talk where he's probably going to come tell all of us to calm down. And and I understand that motion. It's when I start when when I start doing certain things with him. I, I will confess it is to a certain degree nitpicking, but a free like a guy who shoots this many times a game has to get to the line more. Has to his free throw rate is is it's the worst in his career by a significant margin, and he still wants post ups. He wants close shots. Like there were two dunk attempts. Well, one uh, uh, oop that he missed that that you know Kevin Martin Jr. blocked at the rim, and then the the start to the fourth quarter. Where you know he got the very first pass, the six minute mark, six minute thirty second mark. Luca hits him in the hands. Ball is at his head. All he has to do is jump and dunk. He gets stripped. The ball goes out of bounds. He does not draw fouls. That is 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 uh, you know people yeah. can say I'm nitpicking. That's a legitimate criticism of something that he has to. If he's get he can't get to the line. I mean, let's just look at his average. I haven't pulled up because I was looking at the free throw rate. The average right now is three point two, which is also a career worst. He has to be above four. It's a little thing, but I think over the course of a thing, if he's drawing these fat, like like Dwight Powell had more free throws than him last night. That's crazy. Right, so that's right. my that's one of my main criticisms though, because his defense has really jumped off the 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 page. He was outstanding last night. He played Drew Holiday really well in the third quarter. So it's obvious that that, that yeah okay we are or me. I mean, I am being too harsh, but it's because I would like to see him close that gap with consistency. Right. So, I'm just waiting for a, and I'll step down after this. I'm just waiting for, you know, an off season, an actual off season in the last three years for him. And I think he'll be much improved. I, I, I hope so. I mean, the wrist thing, I can't figure out whether that's some gamesmanship because a guy with a wrist injury shouldn't be able to shoot 37% from three. Um, yeah. like, I don't really know what's going yeah. on there. Like, it's like, oh, he, he's like, this is something we're gonna have to deal with in the off season. And my first reaction is fuck. And then my second reaction is, well, how, what is wrong with his wrist? It doesn't look like anything's wrong with him. I mean, he's handling the ball. He's getting hit. He's, doing, he's, he's, he's shooting from 40 feet away. Like, this just feels, I don't know. This feels a little odd to me, but that's neither here nor there. But I, I, I think you're right. If he gets the, if, if he gets a, a clean off season, it'll be the first off season. He has a chance to really add things to his game. Right. Yeah, he hasn't had that in three years. So, All right. Appreciate it, Kirk.
Of course. Thanks for coming up. All right. Coming up next is Jason. What's happening, Jason? I'm going to be a little bit Debbie Downer, I think. That's okay. I it's not... at the 42-minute mark. I suppose. I didn't get to talk about the Houston game, and I'm still <laughs> – I feel a little bit better now, but I don't feel that much better. And this goes to this recurring thing that I keep thinking about that's not great to think about, but I think this team is S-O-F-T soft. This team mm. is soft. This team is emotional. A lot of that comes from Luca being their on-court on leader. You see the, you see it in the Houston game. You see it. There's a stretch in the third quarter. Luca got destroyed by Thanasis Antetokounmpo. He just, like, got off his game with all the flopping and all the physicality there. And I'm just thinking, it's like... Like, I mean, Marcus, I mean, I don't think Luca is going to be intimidated by Marcus Morris, per se. But I do think Luca gets in O's head, or he's like, it's me against the refs now. And he can jack up shots, trying to draw a foul. He can do some silly stuff. And I think this is where KP actually came in, because I remember thinking, like, beginning of the fourth quarter, I think we were down. And I was like, okay, if Luca keeps doing what he's doing, I think we're going to lose. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, they passed it to KP, and they... They let Luca calm his jet down a little bit, and wasn't just all a Luca offense for a bit. And KP actually was able to make Milwaukee pay, and I think that's a lot of the value of KP in just giving them. Well, yeah, I mean, KP was KP was also wide open because of Luca. Like Luca hit him for four three pointers last night. All four, like three, all those assists came from Luca. Like it was really great offense. Is what they need. Yeah, it was good offense. You had. Luca and KP in actions together. That's amazing. Right. Great job, Carl. Wild concept, but, which the, the Mavericks don't do enough. Um, I mean, some of it is switching, I think. But, yeah. Um, but I guess the main point I want to make is that I honestly wonder how much of this is because of the COVID stuff. And not just, like, people having COVID, but just the team. It's like all they do is go to practice and they play games. And they're, like, in the hotel on the road, doing nothing else. And I just wonder how much of it, like, the mental aspect is getting to them. It's like, oh, oh I, think... I have a bad game, and it just compounds and compounds and compounds. I think Jay Rich was in that, that bad cycle a little bit the past couple of games. So I just wonder what you think about that. I think that's a really interesting point, because these guys seem to have a lot of fun in the bubble. And due to the protocols now, I don't even think they're necessarily allowed to spend time with each other off the court. Now, we've heard some... <clears throat> kind of things about vaccinations and maybe that, that some of that will lighten up. But I, I think just like the ability to, only, you know, it's, it's like only going to work and only going to your room. Like that's not very fun. So there's, there's some, some aspects of the team building. It just, it, I'll just, it's, it's, it's hard to ignore some of these things that we watch and it's so easy to read into the body language and sound like, you know, Bill Simmons. But when, one guy doesn't cheer the whole bit, you know, the Utah game, those guys look like they're having more fun than they've had in a long time. And KP wasn't involved. So that's just sort of stuff is awkward. I, I don't know what to do with it other than to try my best to not be an armchair psychologist and hope that this thing works. Stuff works itself out. I really hope, I mean, involving KP and Luca in the offense is something that I just, the more I think and talk about it, the more I think this is a strategic thing where Rick doesn't want tape, despite talking about how unpredictable their offense is. But at what cost? Like, the Mavericks should have won, you know, I, I tweeted today that the Mavericks are 28 over their last, you know, since, since February 1st, and multiple people were like, they should have won four more of those games. And I agree. It's why, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, this is just it's such a weird season. I'm not sure how much we're going to be able to take away from it long, long term. Um, other than 
you know, there's been some real positive signs of on-court growth for, for Luca. I think that some of the things you talked about, uh, they need a veteran. This is where J.J. Barea. J.J. Barea for Wes Obundu. Oh, my I regret my opinions about the basketball aspect of it because I honestly thought Carlisle would play a deeper lineup. But once Obundu was not going to be on the court, he served no function. And so at that point, you need that that luminary of sorts in the locker room. Like, maybe Beretic can sort of play that, but I don't think so because I think he's a bit of a curmudgeon and not, like, the mentory type. If you hear him on the podcast, you just like, like that guy just sounds like he, 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 basketball is something he does now as opposed to something he loves. And they, they really do need, like, uh, that's probably something worth looking into. I may bother Lauren about that, uh, to write something for Mavs Moneyball about, like, who are some veteran guys that would make a difference in the locker room? Cause they need one and it's not Boban. Boban's the happy go lucky mascot. Can I say Danny Green again? Wouldn't that be <laughs> something? We were supposed to get him. That would oh, be hysterical, and, and oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, but that's, there's something there. There's something there. Um, Luca, Luca in the chat points out the problem is Berea cannot play anymore. Uh, so if we kept him, he'd be so unhappy. I'm not sure about that. He didn't really play. Like, he didn't want to play as much as he played last season. He got forced into service. I think he wanted to, you know, kind of be in Dallas, raise his kids. But then when he got a taste towards the second half of the year, he actually did want to play more. Um, he, he, I thought he was going to take the Daryl Armstrong path and be a coach, but that's, that's a good observation. They, they, you're okay. So let's split the difference. They need a, a veteran who can play something, some minutes. Well, Jason, you got anything else? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me up. Of course. Always. All right. We got one more guy. Uh, Grayson. How are you, Grayson? Hey, Kurt. Can you hear me? Yep. I just, last thing on is something that I've been thinking about a lot while watching him during interviews and on the court and his attitude and everything is he just seems to me like someone who's never been the sidekick. And I really, yeah. I don't mean that in like an insulting way, but I think it just seems like he's really having a hard time being the bat, the Robin to Luca's Batman. Cause I mean, and Luke, uh, KP's not the only guy that's probably experienced this in the NBA is just being the number one option your whole life, you know, being the guy, the guy that coaches give the last shot to, the guy that your teammates look to, to suddenly not being that. And this younger, you know, I guess kid is is that on your team instead. I feel like that might be kind of hard. It's got to be. Dennis Smith had the same problem. Uh you, you're you're something your whole life, and then you show up, and someone else is significantly better than you. And I honestly thought this, what we're dealing with now, was going to be a problem last year. Only Luca was so much better than KP that it didn't matter. And I don't know what happened between this year and last year to where he feels so frustrated. I think some of it is his usage, whether that's on his prob- uh, his end or on Carlisle's end, and it's probably a little bit of both because he's coming back from this knee knee injury, but. It's it's really it's something, and I don't know. I don't know how you tell a guy like that you're not one, you're not the best guy on the court. It's it's he probably like part of him. It's like cognitive dissonance where he knows that he's not, but he also can't believe that he isn't. And and so it's it's got to be tough for him at times. But when you see a game like last night where he contributes in the ways that Luca can't. Like, they need to complement each other. And that's sort of what I would, would hope for more of as, as this goes along. So I just hope that they can get effort out of them at the end of the day. I agree. I agree. Well, Grayson, you got anything else? No, nah, that's it. 
I appreciate you coming up. All right, guys. So you're going to get a nice day long break from me, um, which should be, you know, good for everybody's ears. I put in the chat, there's a, you know, uh, Kevin O'Connor did a video about Luca, which is really pretty fun. Um, over the weekend, I think we have something coming up on Dorian Finney Smith's shooting, which we talked about a little bit in here. As always, these sorts of things are lots of fun. I appreciate having this many people come in for a Friday afternoon. Uh, tell your friends and, you know, even if you're not going to listen, cause you've been in this the whole time, please download and then mark as played. It's great for me. Subscribe, uh, leave me a review, even if it's a bad one. Cause I can, it's always fun trying to figure out who says the things about me. Uh, you guys have yourself a great rest of your Friday. Enjoy a Mavericks free basketball Saturday, and we will talk again on Sunday. Have a great afternoon. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.